All right, so in 1 Timothy today, we're moving through a series of messages centered in this book. And today we're talking about standing in truth. Last week was just an introduction of who is writing and to whom it's written to. And today we want to get into some of the purposes of this letter and will give us some direction about where we're heading in this book and also give us insights to what you and I need to know about what church life is all about and how God has established that for us. So let's read through the text together. We're going to go 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. There's a pew Bible in front of you or a seat Bible in front of you if you need one. So let's read together. Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, the purpose of this, he's saying, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. As I was preparing my thoughts and writing them down and moving towards the message that I would proclaim today, I recognized um, there's an underlying tone to Paul's writing to Timothy here, and that is that Christians... Being Christian is not for the faint-hearted. It's certainly not for the half-hearted. And if I could go a little further and say, it's not for the half-witted either. And Paul is telling him no halfway stuff here. Let, let's be completely engaged in this. And it's tough. Following Jesus Christ and the apostles' teachings required faith and courage and boldness and resoluteness just as living distinctly Christian requires of us firm conviction in the Bible that it is the inspired word of God, that it is the authority over our living, sola scriptura, that Jesus is giving us great conviction in his word and the authority of our life is his word and we recognize that Jesus is the righteous judge who is going to hold us accountable for all things done in this body with his word. And he will reward us for our faithfulness. So he's challenging Timothy to be faithful in these things. Because Satan is an attacker, isn't he? He's always moving against the people of God. And he does so often by propagating false teaching and having distractions from instruction from the scripture itself. You might say that Christians should be alert to people falsely teaching God's word and be alert to people who elevate their words as if they are from God. And that's much of what this epistle is about. In his letter, Paul urges Timothy not to allow church leaders to deceive or distract the congregation. This isn't just anybody he's challenging. He's challenging the elders of the church those who are the preachers of the church, those who are dispersed among the house churches there in Ephesus. And so he writes in verses three and four, I'm just gonna reread this. He's saying, I urge you, that's a sense of beckoning, it's a pleading, it's a begging, if you will. I'm urging you that as I was going to Macedonia, I'm saying the same thing to you, remain there. 
don't, don't just pull up. Don't just walk away. Don't go somewhere else. Just remain there. Know it's difficult. Don't be half-hearted about this. Don't be half-driven in this. Don't be half-witted either. I'm urging you to stay there so that you may charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. Now, how would you like to be that guy? How would you like to be the pastor whose mentor, the Apostle Paul, is saying, don't you dare pick up and leave. You stay right there and you charge the other elders who are teaching falsely a different kind of doctrine. Tell them not to devote themselves to myths and genealogies, endless genealogies. Don't promote those speculations that they're throwing out there. Rather, they need to have the stewardship of God, which is faith. Drive them towards faith. I want you to do that, Timothy. So Paul is urging him to remain there as pastor even when some of the elders were deceiving and distracting the members from God's truth. Now, if you know anything about the life of Timothy, you know that he has a little um, struggle with timidity. He has some issues. Perhaps he's non-confrontational and maybe subject to doubt his ability to lead at times and Others would kind of come against him. The naysayers would talk about him and question his leadership based on his age. Maybe he was too youthful, they thought, that he wouldn't be able to lead well. Uh, when I first came here, I was 35 years old, and I was going around the community. People would say, you're, you're too young to be the pastor of Meadowbrook. They don't say that to me anymore. I don't know why. <laughs> Paul is urging Timothy at his age just to be resolved, be resolute, stay with the teachings of the apostles and make sure those are being taught to the congregation. By the way, the, uh, the apostolic teaching is what you and I have in the Bible. The apostles' teachings are the teachings of Jesus Christ that they personally heard him share and so they are teaching that, they're preaching that, they are, they are driving that into the hearts and the minds of people and by God's grace, we have that written for us in the pages of this Bible. So he's saying, make sure that you're hanging out right here. Uh, that's one of the things that I love, absolutely love about Meadowbrook, is this is a church from its life groups to its platform and to other uh, groups that meet, we want to be people who are driven from this word. Uh, you're not wanting my opinion. You're not wanting my top 10 things about this part of life. You want to know what God's word says. This is the apostles' teachings, and the apostles' teachings come from the mouth of Christ. They heard it himself. And so Paul is challenging Timothy, and it's a great challenge for us to stay Christ-centered, spirit-filled, and word of God-centered. But now let me just break it down in three very simple truths that Paul is encouraging for Timothy. First, he's saying, stay in your called position. Stay there. This called position of Timothy, and it is for all people who are called unto the ministry of Christ, and I would even say for all people. Today I'll have our luncheon for guests who are considering church membership, and one of the things that I will tell them is that Although we have several pastors on staff here, everybody at Meadowbrook is a minister. I'm a minister of Jesus Christ, not by my call as a pastor. I'm a minister of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ dwells within me by his spirit. And when I became a Christian, my life was surrendered to Christ 
At that very moment, I was given ministry. And if your life is surrendered to Jesus Christ, you too are a minister. Now, you might minister in the school as a teacher. You might minister at the courthouse as a clerk. You might minister in the doctor's office as a professional. You might minister in the factory where you work. You might minister in the home. But I don't, it doesn't matter. You are all ministers called by Christ. And here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. I think it's a good challenge for us. Stay in your position. Stay in that call position. And that is love God and love people. Proclaim truth and make disciples and teach the Bible. Equip saints. Fervently pray. Walk humbly and be spirit-filled. That's a good call, position. I recognize in this day and age that most pastors don't stay in the called position more than five years. Did you know coming out of seminary, within five years, 50% of pastors will no longer, not only not be in their church, they will not be in the ministry. And here's what Paul would say to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, stay in your called position. I fully believe like Jeremiah came to understand that before we are born, God was calling us. As we were being shaped in our mother's womb, God was shaping us for the fulfillment of our calling unto the glory of Jesus Christ. Listen, times might get rough, things might be unsettled, but here's what Paul is saying, by the word of the Spirit, stay in your call position. Stay there. Be rooted there. I received a text message this past week. I thought the timing was interesting. Interesting. This person was thanking for my long-term tenure at Meadowbrook. He had become somewhat frustrated because he was insightful to various churches whose pastors were no longer pastoring. And it was either one of two things. Either the church ran them off or the church ran away from the church. Uh, the pastor ran away from the church. And he was saying that he was frustrated with that. And he was thanking me for my tenure. He says, you know, you've been here a long time and here is my honest response to him. My tenure is a testament to Meadowbrook and the Holy Spirit for being abounding in grace. You have been incredibly gracious to me. Listen, I've made mistakes along the way that you could have easily said, uh-uh, but you were gracious and you helped me. And I've been gracious to you, I hope, and helped you. This is the way it's supposed to be, that we would be in relationship together in a grace-filled way like what Christ is with each of us and collectively as a church. So I'm recognizing it's not easy for a church to have a pastor stay a long time, and it's not easy for a pastor to be with the church for a long time, but I think it's healthy. And so Paul's think, thinking the same way. He says to Timothy, look, times are tough right now. I know you've got other elders that are teaching in wrong ways, wrong doctrines. Stay in your position. Let that be first. Stay in your call position. And as every member is a, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, stay where God has called you. Do you know 1 Corinthians Chapter 12 says that the Spirit of God has drawn each of you to the membership of the body, connecting you to this body so this body might be edified, it might be built up. So whatever position God has called you to, stay there. And maybe it is that God has called you to a position and you haven't connected to that yet, not to that ministry, get there. 
and stay and flourish and serve Christ and serve one another. Stay in your call position. Number two, he's saying, stand for doctrinal truth. So Paul is instructing Timothy to charge certain people not to teach a different gospel, a different doctrine. In fact, the words in the original language there is don't let them teach a strange doctrine. Don't let them teach something that's strange. What's strange? Something that's not in here. Could I say anything that's not in here is what Paul would consider to be a strange doctrine? Anything that's not practiced out of the the systematic way of knowing this word, who the word was written to, what's the intentionality of its writing, and how does the Spirit want it manifest in us is being very directed by that. The apostolic doctrine is that of the New Testament. The books of the New Testament are written by the apostles or the co-ministers who are working side by side, listening to the teaching and the preaching of the apostles and writing that down in the form in which you and I now have it. Anything other than exegetical teaching from the Bible is considered to be strange doctrine. Now, we're not talking about springboard preaching. You know, it's springboard preaching is when you just kind of jump from a text and go into whatever topics you want to really cover or you're proof texting, you're just cherry picking verses that seem to match what you're trying to communicate and it's not in the context of the passage. We're, we're not interested in that. We want to be rooted in the scripture, in the apostles' teaching, anything else other than exegetical teaching from the Bible. Paul says, stay away from that. And if somebody is speaking on God's behalf today and claiming to speak a word from God, here's the, what, what you and I ought to do. Will you tell me the book, chapter, and verse from which you're saying that? If God is telling you that, what's the chapter and verse? Where do I find that? Or when you hear people say, you know, in the Bible it says, or God says, no, no, no. Would you reference that for us, please? What chapter and what verse are you talking about? And be like the Bereans, measure it against God's word. Measure it against the counsel. Listen, you and I are not to be half-witted. We cannot be intellectually lazy because somebody is telling us it's from God. And you ought to be very suspect when anybody comes to you and says, hey, I've got a word for you from God. Oh, what chapter and verse correlates with what you're about to tell me? Because God, if he hasn't given it to me in the, in the scriptures, then I'm not interested in hearing it. Can you reference that for me? Paul says, anything else, Timothy, is a strange doctrine. And you need to be alert to that and don't let that infuse its way into the church. So Timothy was to insist that leaders teach doctrine correctly because true doctrine promotes stewardship from God that is by faith. Now that clears it up, doesn't it? <laughs> I was uh, studying this week and just thinking, now what in the world is he saying there? True doctrine promotes stewardship from God that is by faith. I, I need to settle into this this is obviously a big point of the letter this is this is if you will one of the theses of the letter so what is he talking about there what what does that actually mean well we can go to other parts of the bible and find the same words or the same phrases there's just a handful that uses this one and all of them are pollinian so let's think about this what is he talking about 
Stewardship means to plan or manage. And so Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, that Jesus entrusted to him the stewardship or the management of God's grace of the gospel. So God had entrusted to Paul the gospel message, and he, tell, he told him, manage it well. Give it out well. Manage it to the people. Plan to deliver it. He says in the third chapter, verse 9, that God entrusted him with the gospel plan, same word there, gospel stewardship for all people. And we're seeing some semblance, aren't we? This stewardship is a management, it's a plan of God that's to be employed by people who are called by God to do it. And that's all of us, by the way. We have all been given the stewardship of grace. So we ought to manage that well. So Paul uses that same wording here in his letter to Timothy in chapter 1 verse 4 by saying that genuine doctrine teaching is good management of God's truth that leads people to salvation and Christian living by faith. Doctrine helps us to live out the expressions of our faith. Now that really is a big uh, deal for Paul in this letter. What he's trying to do is to help guide Timothy to lead the church that they would express their faith, their life of faith well in the community so that others would be identifying what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. And so here's some false teachers teaching a strange doctrine that would move them away from a life lived by faith. So Paul's eager for the Ephesians to know God's truth and to express it in their lives. Now doctrine gets sort of a bad rap in Western Christianity today. I remember it like it was yesterday. A few years ago, a man came to me and he was arguing that I needed to preach only the love of God and to stop focusing on doctrine. He never wanted me to use the word doctrine. I tried to help him to understand that you can't know the love of God without knowing the truth about God. That you can't disconnect those two. And the man said, now look, just teach us how to live like Jesus. I said, listen carefully. You can't live rightly before God without thinking rightly about God and his word. So what I do is try to teach God's word, God's doctrine, God's truth, and leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens? When you teach right truths and right doctrine, people grow more in love with God and more in love with other people. Have you ever noticed that I don't have to hound you to give? I don't have to hound you to be on mission. I don't have to hound you to go to life group. I don't have to hound you to love one another. You know why? Because when you teach doctrinal truth and it's rightly sounding from the pulpit to your heart and you receive it with faith, God will press into you his love. You'll engage in his love. It's not me trying to convince you to do this or that. It's me trying to help you to understand what the truths of God's words are and you living those things out. That's where love is rooted. So doctrine and life application are best friends. They are not enemies. They go hand in hand. And so Paul is telling Timothy, make sure you stay in your called position and make sure that you stand for doctrinal truth. And here's what I think he's saying third. Stop deceptive and distracting leaders. Now like today, there are types of leaders who misguide the church. One of the groups of people misguiding the church were deceptive about doctrine. 
Now, Jesus and the apostles warned us many times about false teachers and false prophets. Listen to the words from 2 Peter chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. You know what he's saying there in that second verse? He's saying many are going to follow their own desires. They're only going to listen to what they're willing to hear. They're only going to do what they're willing to do. They're not pressed to the word of God. So he's saying they're just following their sensuality. And the way of truth for them will be blasphemed. Truth, experience will supersede truth to them. Modern culture will supersede truth to them. And so he's saying they, they will have swift destruction. Look at verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit, exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, I might offend some people in this section of the message. And uh, don't think that I'm doing it without a sense of reservation. But you and I haven't been here this long for me to dilly-dally around. You are serious-minded people. You are engaged in truth and life. So just listen for a moment. Don't turn me off because I might mention something that might offend you or give a different thought about something. Churches must not be passive when it comes to false prophets and false teachers. It's a serious offense, and it is widely destructive to people's faith. Jesus told us that. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So the main attack in the church is not from the outside in. Listen, if you're focused on an attack from the government into the church, you're focusing on the wrong thing. If you're thinking that other people with different faiths are going to infuse that in the life of the church and you're worried about an external attack, you're worried about the wrong thing. Here's what Jesus said. No, no, they're going to come and they're going to look exactly like you. They're going to sound exactly like you. They're going to do exactly like you, but they are ravenous wolves and they are there to destroy you. And they come within the church and live within the expression of the church and they are vicious they cause all kinds of division and discord and disruption. You think that person is just chatty and gossipy and slanderous? No, no. That person is a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they are strategically placed in the body of Christ to bring division, to scatter the sheep, to try to pick them off one by one. And Jesus gave us the warning, saying you ought to beware of that. Be aware of that. So how do you know when people are false prophets, how do you know when a uh, there is a false prophet? I can tell you this, when they make a single prophetic mistake, the Bible standard for prophets is 100% accuracy. If you follow, I, I told you this might be offensive. 
If you follow a self-proclaiming prophet who claimed that God told him that Donald Trump would have a second term as the president of the United States, you are following a false prophet. It's got nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has everything to do. He said this that God said, and that didn't happen. God says that's a false prophet. And to Israel, he said, you take that man outside of the city and you stone him to death. That's how important it is to God. He doesn't want somebody speaking on his behalf that's not true to him. So he requires 100% accuracy. Now, I don't believe in the false prophets. I don't believe in the prophets today. I don't believe that they're hearing from God. I don't believe that they're on TBN to tell you about what's coming in the future. I don't believe that. And if you're given to that, you ought to be very aware of that. Here's what they say today. Well, we have about a 50 to 75% accuracy rate. No, no, no. What you have is God's people being merciful to you not to take you out. <laughs> If Paul would not allow them to teach in the church, why do you watch them on TBN? If Paul would not allow Timothy to have them teach in the church, why do you read their books? Why do you read their articles? Why do you listen to their podcast? Why are you reading their blogs? You see, the church is kind of in this position to be passive with false teachers and false prophets, and Jesus and the apostles said, stop doing that. It's a big deal. It's a serious offense. When writing about false teachers, Paul characterized them in Titus as this, insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. And he said, they must be silenced. Now, you and I cannot silence false teachers who do not speak within or outside the realm of Meadowbrook. We can't silence them. We don't have the authority to do so. But we can be deaf to them. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Don't listen. Don't engage. The second type of leader is not just one who is deceptive, but is actually distracting from church doctrine. These men, as Paul say, says about them, they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies and promote speculation. Now, it's hard to know exactly all that transpired in that, how they acted and how they thought. And how they taught authoritatively on genealogies from the Old Testament. But evidently they wove fanciful stories from the midst of the genealogies. And they shared them with real conviction. As if in the traditional format of teaching rabbis, these leaders within the house churches would teach outside the parameters of scripture, outside the parameters of the apostles' teaching. They were promoting speculation it would be like having Jonathan Kahn on the Meadowbrook staff writing and speaking speculation that is outside the boundaries of sound hermeneutic practices. Kahn is a popular pastor and author who proclaims himself to be a rabbi and a prophet. He speaks, as Paul says, with confident assertions, but he moves beyond the realm of healthy practices of exegetical teaching, interpretation, and application of the Scripture. People like those in the Ephesian church should, should listen to current authors and speakers and engage them in a way to test the Scripture. Is that who he was writing that text to? 
You know what Khan is doing is he is taking Old Testament passages that are written very specifically to Israel, very specific prophecies to Israel, and he is applying them as if the United States is Israel. Now that's not a sound hermeneutic. Certainly not a way to exegete the passage. It's a misinterpretation of the passage. And it is, as Paul would say, a speculation. Now, do I think that he is doing that intentionally to misdirect us? It doesn't matter what I think, does it? It distracts people from God's true word. And if you're distracted from God's true word, then you are not given to the right kind of faith. And the whole purpose of this word is to move us to live out the expressions of our faith. Not to have insights to what's going on today, not to have insights to what's going on tomorrow, but trust that God is sovereignly in control. So solid Bible doctrine moves people to love God and to love others well. And so Paul says the aim of our charge is to love, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. So what he's saying there is God is not speaking to us in hidden messages. He's not speaking to us in mysterious code. He is not speaking to us through harbingers from passages that are explicitly written to Israel. Those unique insights are actually unsound teachings. They're strange doctrines, and that's not the way that God speaks to us. The almighty God has spoken to us from the pages of the Bible. He's not making it mysterious. He's not making it hard to understand. He's writing it for us in very specific language and giving us the Holy Spirit who will direct us in how to apply it and understand it truthfully. And so Meadowbrook, you and I need to recognize that, that if it's not from God's word and the true teaching of God's word and we're getting it and applying it into our life with faith and that doesn't move us to love with a genuineness of heart and genuineness of conviction and sound sincere faith and we're in the wrong direction so he says to us that such love is going to flow from a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith now is there anyone in here today who has a pure heart without sin anybody here without a mark of disobedience in your life Anybody here have a clear conscience, a good conscience that would be blameless before God and others? Is there anybody here that lives their life without pretense? I venture to say there's not, except that Christ would make us all together new, that Christ would give us a new heart, that he would erase the sin in our life and cleanse us from it, and he would give to us faith by his grace. And in that newness of life, we can be forever different our hearts can be made anew and our conscience clear and our faith sincere through God's grace and his regenerative work by his Holy Spirit. So knowing God and the doctrinal truth of the Bible, ha having that results in an experience of genuine love for God and one another. That's why it's imperative that we read, teach, and preach, and know and embrace the Bible and its doctrines and don't sell it short. Could I ask you to consider the new life in Christ? Could I ask you to come to faith in Jesus Christ who will give you a pure heart? May I invite you today to the one who will justify you eternally and cleanse you from your sin on a daily basis and produce into you a good conscience where you can live out
the realities of life in Jesus Christ. Could I ask you to receive what he is measuring out in the proportion that you need today, that of faith, and receive it, and trust him, and walk in him, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift. It's the gift of God. Make Jesus the object of your faith. Purposefully grow in your knowledge and understanding and the application of that from the Bible. And in doing so, God will purify your heart and he will help you to live with a good conscience and he will give to you sincere faith. The call for Paul to Timothy and the call to us is very clear. Let's be solid in our doctrine. Let's be given to the counsel of this word. Let's walk daily in it. Let's be a church that's given to it. And God will flush through us genuine love. We'll come to love him because we'll come to know him all the more. And as we come to know him all the more, we will love other people like we've never loved before. And in that, we will fulfill the words of the law and the prophets to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and love our neighbor as ourself. But it won't happen because we determine it. It won't happen because we've done some good programs and plans here at Meadowbrook. It will happen when we fully engage in the counsel of this word not selectively pull from it, not be given to parts of it, but say, oh God, this is your word and this is the truth for my life. Let me live it to its fullness, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen, church. Amen. Lord, in this moment, there might be some who are giving themselves to you and your word and in doing so by faith, you are bringing transformation into them. You are destroying that which is old and sinful and judged. You're doing it with Christ there on the cross. And they're dying to self. And Lord, they're being made new by faith in Jesus Christ, resurrected by him to walk in a new way of life by his spirit. And I pray as you are impregnating life into them from above that you would create in them a hunger that is ever satisfied by your word, reading it, studying it, knowing it, meditating it, memorizing it, expressing it. And I pray in doing so, you would fill us with love for you and other people. And this I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.